Good morning, and welcome to episode 309 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, we both just watched playoff games and are taking a break from writing about them and digesting them to discuss them briefly here. Uh, and we'll, we'll also get to a few questions. So you watched the, the Tigers-Red Sox game. Any comments? Uh, did, did you watch the Tigers-Red Sox game? Sort of. Not closely because it was kind of not the most compelling game after the beginning. And, and I was on a, a DVR delay with the first game and was writing about that. So kind of paid attention. Know what happened, but didn't, didn't see it with the level of, of detail that I assume you did. So I just want to know your if you if you have them. I want to, I want your new assessment of of what Miguel Cabrera's uh, <laughs> war would be if he played uh, every you know every every game for the season with with this current body that he has. Uh-huh. It it was like uh, what what did we say? Like we said two about a week, a little more than a week ago. Yeah, or your Twitter Twitter people polled said two. Did, did you not agree with that? We didn't come to consensus. I don't think I advanced an opinion, but um, I, I don't know. I guess I guess I would have been on board with that roughly. So yeah, so I think that was like around game two or so of the LDS, mm-hmm. and I think it was game four that he had like kind of an awkward play in the field, and I really thought that, that was it. Like he he looked in so much pain mm-hmm. on the field. Um, immediately after and you know he, I mean he just he really looked unhappy he was super gimpy and I didn't I didn't think he would play again um frankly I thought that was that was going to be it for him I thought he'd be out the next inning and then he wouldn't play again this postseason and since then roughly he's basically had a 950 OPS in 21 plate appearances um you know he's got a couple home runs which we were told he couldn't do because he couldn't you know drive on that outside pitch mm-hmm. uh he you know he had a he's had a couple of really hard hit outs as well he made a uh arguably a nice play although with cabrera it's hard to say whether it's a nice play or it's just like a you know it's a passable play but he charged a, a dustin Pedroia chopper and had a quick release and and basically i mean essentially fielded the bunt that we've been waiting for them to test him with, although mm-hmm. it wasn't, it was a swinging bunt, and he uh, stole a base. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I would, I would guess that he's not quite at full strength, but he certainly looks a lot better. If we said he was an average player, then um, he certainly looks closer to what he was. So, what was he? Seven and a half wins. So. I don't know. I'll say five. Yeah, that seems reasonable to me. Four, I, I was going to say four and a half, but mm-hmm. maybe that that feels. I mean, there's no difference between four and a <laughs> half and five. We said the same number. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of weird. He just either we're both wrong, or we were we were well, wrong. We were wrong, right? I mean, we've changed our minds. It's not a. I mean, unless you say that. He was a two-win player then, and he's a five-win player now. But, I mean, did he just miraculously just gain three wins overnight? He had a good night's sleep, and he's just woke up three wins better? Maybe He might have. I mean, if he's... If he, I mean, yeah, maybe he did. I mean, it's a small margin that was, it's a sort of a small physical margin between him being right and him being wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it is possible that he feels better. I mean, the, these, yeah, I, I don't know how things heal, but things do heal. My toe doesn't hurt as bad as it did when I broke it a long time ago. It still hurts a little bit, uh-huh. but it doesn't doesn't hurt as bad as it does. Um, that's like yeah. that's a callback. That's a callback <laughs> yeah, to my I remember. to the to the toe episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how I think of that episode as the toe episode. Um, yeah, I, I guess I thought he was probably diminished in such a way that he couldn't make that kind of recovery just overnight become almost what he was. I mean, it, it sort of seemed like that was what he was going to be unless maybe he got a week off or something in between series. Maybe he, you know, if they swept and he had a bunch of time to recuperate, maybe, but I didn't really expect it to be sort of an overnight improvement. Um, but yeah. I didn't either. I, I, there were, there were, I mean, you know, I, I sort of look at Miguel Cabrera through the lens of watching Albert Pujols this, uh, this season. And there would be weeks where he, you know, seemed to be a lot better and claimed to be a lot better and felt better. And then there would be weeks that he didn't. And it was, uh, it was not a straight line up or down. It, it was, it staggered, at least if you believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know that he's healed. I mean, he could just easily go bad tomorrow. It could be the sort of thing where he you know, could just tweak it a little. Or it could be that there's been no change and that we're imagining this. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that we're wrong and that he's he, he, he still is a two-win player. I mean, it's only 20 plate appearances and one ball that he charged and one example of a pitcher failing to pay attention to him. Maybe he's just a hustler. So maybe he's just a hustler. Like he's he doubled <laughs> he's, down. He's faking he, it. He got the Red Sox to he's triple trying, the bet. Yeah, he's trying to lull them into a false sense of security. Cabrera is a, a shadow of him for his former self. And... Well, so this is what I was thinking when we were, we once talked about um, whether hotness is is real, and we mm-hmm. talked about a study that had looked at I think basketball players and found evidence that in fact, um, contrary to what had been sort of accepted wisdom, uh, hot shooters uh, actually do show some effect. They do continue to be hot. But the problem is that they uh, change their behavior in a way that um, that strips them of that advantage. So basically, a, a hot shooter will start shooting more worse percentage shots, and so he undoes the benefit that he has, and just as quickly is not hot anymore. Right? Is, mm-hmm. is that how you remember we talked about this? I think you just described it to me last time. I never actually read it, so uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I wonder whether this might be the case that. Um, the A's first and the Red Sox now have essentially adjusted to Cabrera's physical ailments, but they've done it maybe too far. I mean, they basically are throwing him the same pitch over and over, mm. and uh, he's able to. I mean, it, what they gain by pitching to his weakness, they lose by being, um, you know, less unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one pitch that I think he looked. Uh, bad on this this tonight that I remember was as I recall it was a slider that was inside which was not where he was expecting it partly because he hasn't seen a lot of sliders and partly because he hasn't seen a lot inside I might be totally misremembering this but as I recall he froze on it um, otherwise though I mean they're basically just throwing him fastballs away which he's not supposed to be able to hit as well but you know if he knows exactly where it's going to be every time or a lot of the time mm-hmm. and is able to adjust then he starts to get some of that edge back and so what might happen what might be happening is simply that uh, the, the 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 game on him the plan on him became too obvious too predictable and now he's um, you know he's he's sitting on it so maybe his true talent hasn't 
improved by as exactly. much as we were saying. Right. This might just be uh, the ebb and flow of strategy, in fact. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yesterday we talked about how uh, the Red Sox weren't hitting, and you you looked into whether they'd been chasing at pitches and what they'd done when they did do that. Did you were you watching the game today tonight, kind of with that in mind to to see if it continued to be the case? Uh, only a little bit, not not a lot, no. Mm-hmm. Well, they seemed like they it seemed like. Uh, they seemed like they were doing okay. I mean, it seemed to me that Fister had a, a really great curveball and not great fastball command. And what I was looking at with the other pitchers was more focused on whether their their secondary stuff was as good. And, and I was ignoring their fastball command completely. Uh, in this case, maybe it got flipped a little. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox actually hit. I mean, the Red Sox hit just fine tonight. Mm-hmm. They just, they didn't, the, the timeliness of their hits wasn't quite there. And they gave up a, a ton of runs. Um, but they, they basically hit, I mean, they, they hit a lot. They yeah. arguably hit better than the, than the Tigers. It's funny how, uh, Fister had sort of been overlooked. I feel like every time someone brought up the Tigers rotation and how great it was by the time they got through Scherzer and Verlander and Sanchez, they were out of time. They didn't even get to, to Fister, but Fister is really good, <laughs> which is yeah. that's why <laughs> I, why I made him the top pick in the soft tossers draft. Chris Singleton um, said sometime around the eighth inning, you know, oh, well, we expected there to be a lot of runs in this game because they're down to the to the bottom of their rotations and they're number four starters. But Fister had a better fit this year than Verlander did. He was eighth in the American League. So mm-hmm. he's basically a stud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. He's uh, very tall, too. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you saw, I mentioned this on, on the Twitter machine, but um, the, his... Leg, his right leg, I think it's his right leg. Yeah, it's his right leg in his follow through, sort of uh, flings up right in between the camera and the catcher's mitt. So you can ever, you can't actually see where the the pitch ends up. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can speculate based <laughs> on the the trajectory. But for a lot of these pitches that were kind of like breaking balls, particularly where uh, you're judging based on you know like really the last frame and where the catcher catches it. You couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. His foot was blocking it, and it was just killing me. Like, I could <laughs> almost not watch. It was making me so sick to my stomach to, <laughs> to just have the last frame basically blacked out every time. Yeah, that sounds frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else from that game that stands out? No. Yeah, okay. Uh, I didn't Terrible have... game. Super boring game. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, my game was, was better. Uh, I didn't have a, a whole lot to, to say about it. I guess my 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 confusion, my main source of confusion was that Kelly was was allowed to start the fifth. I thought that was weird. Or rather that he was allowed to, to hit for himself in the fifth and then also start the fifth. Um, that struck me as somewhat surprising uh, because... Uh, there, there had been a reliever warming up in the third. Actually, Shelby Miller. There was a Shelby Miller sighting, and he sort of started out struggling, and then he had a very routine fourth inning uh, where he struck out Puig and got a couple grounders. And I guess that 
may have reassured Mike Matheny that he was okay, and then he came out for the fifth, and uh, he hit for himself, and then he gave up a homer to Carl Crawford. Wasn't really a, a decisive thing in the game, probably, as it turned out, but just one of those cases where I, I felt like a manager stuck with a starter too long, um, probably because of the, the routine fourth. I think there's a, a tendency for a, a manager to give a guy a longer leash than he should have if maybe he just had an okay inning, even if he was struggling earlier. And if you look at kind of the, the data on that, there's almost no way to tell when a, when the wheels are just going to come off for a pitcher. Like if a, I think in the book they found that the performance in the, the first performance against the first nine batters of a game was predictive if you were bad. If you struggled against those first nine batters, then you were more likely than usual to continue to struggle. But if you just breeze through those first nine batters, that didn't mean that you were any more likely than usual to continue pitching well, which can be kind of deceptive because you figure, oh, a guy is he's on today. He has it or whatever, but he's actually not really any more likely to continue having it. Um, so that was one of those cases where I felt like maybe that was a mistake. But uh Probably didn't make the difference, and the Dodgers hit a lot of home runs, and that was sort of the story there. So you don't, uh, you know, you don't spend most of the regular season watching Mike Matheny closely, but then the postseason comes along, and, and for one thing, you do. Uh, you're watching every game, and you're having to write about it, so you're paying attention to these decisions he makes. But also, like every decision is kind of amplified and discussed and watched by many more people, and 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 picked at. So do you have a sense of like what Mike Matheny as a manager is like now? Like how, how would, uh, how would you describe him if you, if you had to? I don't really, I, I would say he's just sort of generic from what I've seen. Like my impression of him just based mostly on things I read or maybe stats I looked at in his first season was that he was maybe, uh, you know, kind of a little too active as a manager I, I think he was kind of a maybe a an over bunter in that first season and uh from what I've gathered he kind of toned it down in the second season maybe just because the Cardinals kind of didn't really give him a lot of opportunities to make mistakes or do anything wrong or or do anything at all really because they're just so solid top to bottom and they've got good starters and they've got a good bullpen and there's just I mean there's there's only so much that you can screw up if you're the manager of the Cardinals. And in this series, there's really no bench to speak of. The Cardinals just kind of don't have one with, with Alan Craig out. So there aren't really all that many moves to make. I mean, the the disappearance of Shelby Miller was sort of surprising, but I don't know whether that's a Matheny decision, and it could be a completely justifiable decision based on things that we don't really know about Shelby Miller. And other than that, it's there's not a whole lot to to go on in in this series. I didn't love the sort of slow hook for Kelly, but um, nothing really, nothing else has really stood out to me one way or another. Is uh, is Brian Wilson the best reliever <laughs> pitching in pitching in the postseason that isn't the closer? Uh, it, it seems like it seems like the the team that the, probably the four best relievers are probably the four closers at this point: Boyhara, mm-hmm. Rosenthal. Benoit and Kenley Jansen. Mm-hmm. Is Wilson the next best pitcher? Possibly. He's he's looked really good. Um, 
trying to think of who else it would be. I don't know. I like Kevin Segrist, but um, yeah, Brian Wilson's been great. Still hasn't allowed a run in the postseason. It's uh, it's kind of funny in retrospect to think that anyone could have had him. Yeah, I'm trying to find his his salary. It's and not not a whole lot, right? I no, I mean I well the way I always find salaries if I if I don't if I just want to do it in one click I just Google the player's name and million and it always turns up <laughs> uh-huh. and with with Wilson it's not turning up all the results are him turning down a million dollars to shave his beard which makes me think that he is maybe not making a million dollars for the Dodgers. Uh-huh. Oh, he actually is. He's making exactly one million dollars. Okay, and that's a million for. A, a small fraction of the season, I guess. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but even so, anyone anyone could have had him. The Tigers could have signed him and put him in the yeah. back of their bullpen if they wanted to. Um, yeah. I don't know whether I don't know. I guess he's like maybe a West Coast guy, and maybe maybe there were other teams interested, and the Dodgers just had an advantage or something. But uh, presumably, he he could have been pitching for any of these playoff teams if they had wanted him enough. Crazy game. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else on playoffs? Nope. Okay. Do you think... I'm, I'm feeling seven games for both of these series. Uh, so... Definitely feeling seven for, for my series, because it's, it's closer to that. Uh, and we just need, just need Kershaw to win to get to seven. It's, it's actually not any closer. Well, yeah, right, because someone's going to win the game six in, in the ALCS. <laughs> yeah, it's a, exactly the same. <laughs> yes. Distance from seven. Yeah, but uh, maybe but more likely to get to yeah Kershaw. It's uh, the Kershaw thing. Yes. Um, but Kershaw against Waka. I mean, it's not like Waka's been. Yeah. Hit uh, a lot. No, but he's not Kershaw. Although Waka will have the home field advantage, but. Probably the, the most likely outcome would be a, a Dodgers win in Game 6 and a Cardinals win in Game 7, just based on who's starting each game and where they'll be played. Well, I'll tell you something, Ben. Okay. I, I am lo- I'm loath to predict who is going to win playoff series, but I refuse to ever predict how many games it's going to take. That is even, just not something I do. Even after four or five games? I refuse. Okay. Okay. Uh, Will you? Do you care to make a prediction in in any amount of games for the ALCS? No, no, goodness. <laughs> okay. I have I have it in mind. I will write it. I will put it in an envelope. I will seal it up, and then I will uh, mail it to Santa Claus. <laughs> you can post it on the on the Facebook group your next time there. I'm not going to gloat if I get it right or anything. I mean, I'm, I want the envelope is going to disappear. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why I'm going through with the envelope, to be honest. <laughs> it seems like a pretty pointless ritual. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we do a few questions, comments? Sure. Okay. One or two? Yeah, sure. So I got another Amador update, and I figured I should pass it on. I got an email from someone, a listener, who works at the AFL, at the Arizona Fall League, where Amador is playing and where I noticed that he is listed at 215. And that person confirmed that, that the rosters there were based on baseball references, height, weight, stats. So that's why he was at 215. We now have an official ruling straight from Amador's mouth. He is 305. Okay. Yeah. So what? he is, he is, somehow they got that information from him. They went to him. They found out how much he weighed. He said 305. 
It's now updated on minorleaguebaseball.com. Now says 305. Um, Do you think he knows how much he weighs? <laughs> uh, if I were Amador, I, I probably wouldn't want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a point where you get big enough that you quit paying attention to the, to the, to the swings, but then there's another point where you get so big that you do pay attention, that you have to pay attention. Yeah. He could have just... It's a U-curve. He could have just said even 300, but maybe just adding the, the extra five pounds makes it more plausible. So anyway, 305 is what Amador says he weighs. Maybe he's he's being a little generous. I don't know. Uh, but the 215 on baseball reference apparently is what he weighed when he was signed, whenever that information first filtered through to the internet. Um, so I think we should organize a, a boycott of baseball reference until it's updated to reflect his current weight. We should ask him how much Pablo Sandoval weighs. Cause I don't feel like anybody's giving me an honest answer on that. And Amador, what's he listed Amador, at? Uh, geez. I, I mean, don't know. You just, you'd have to change it so often for Sandoval. Every time mm-hmm. he goes to weight loss camp and gains 240, weight there. 240 on the Google. Uh, 240 on uh, 240 on reference too. Mm-hmm. Uh, My favorite one is. Uh, let me see if this is still. Nope, it's been updated. For so, maybe maybe it was always updated, but uh, for a really long time, I was able to find Miguel Cabrera listed at 185. It's <laughs> a good one. Um, so someone responded to our request for a nominal nickname, and this is Mark suggested uh, Butterbean based on the, the boxer from the 90s who was I believe he large. actually recommended, I, I believe he suggested Butterball. He did, which was, I, I don't know if that was a typo, because he said Butterbean, the boxer, and then he said, so perhaps Amador's nickname should be Butterball. I don't know why the change. One of those, well, though, is what he, what he recommends. He plays ball. <laughs> okay. And Butterbean plays bean? No, is beaning is beaning beaning is probably not a boxing term. No, I think it was based on a a, a butterbean based diet that he mm-hmm. had once to get to a weigh in. Um, okay. You don't you don't like you don't hit you don't hit a that's not a there's no there's no bean. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, uh, Scott says I keep hearing how homers kill rallies. If this is true. Wouldn't the optimal strategy for killing an opponent's rally simply be to groove a pitch down the heart of the plate and allow the hitter to kill his own team's rally with a homer? Could this be a new market inefficiency? Are you listening, Billy Bean? I uh, refuse to address this topic. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's been it's been done. Yeah. It's it's been covered. Mm. This topic has been well covered. Okay. Uh, all right, we got another question. <laughs> Fine. Um, Sorry. Thanks for the question. <laughs> yeah, Scott makes a good point, but apparently you can it's address been, it. it's been I, made I many mind. times before. Ben, I don't mind if you address it. I didn't have much to say other than, than I thought Scott made a good point there. But you've heard it all before. Um, <laughs> okay, this one comes from Jeff in Trinidad, Colorado. And it's similar to questions we've gotten or I've gotten before. How can I use sabermetrics as a baseball coach of 9 to 10-year-olds? Not necessarily to gain a competitive edge, but to teach this next generation advanced stats and how could we use them in making a lineup, etc., for the team, Mm. which 
sort of sounds like two conflicting ideas. I don't know whether he's talking about actually teaching them or making the team better. It seems like he's he's saying both. But I get questions like this fairly often, often from like amateur coaches will email me or email baseball prospectus, like high school coaches or college coaches or the people who keep stats for those teams will often email us. Uh, and I refer them to Russell Carlton usually, and he answers mm-hmm. them. But um, I don't know that there's that much you can do, really, because at that level, there are no stats. And you could you could keep stats for a while, but you'd have such small samples. It would be it's tough to apply major league sabermetric principles to high school or college, let alone little league. Yeah, I mean, unless you think very broadly and just think of sabermetric principles as, you know, using information to find, you know, slivers of advantages. And, you know, if if you get past the idea that it's, you know, about the ways that we use it for the majors, then, I don't know, it would probably would just be, I mean, I would think that the best advice would just be to, to be really conscientious of managing for yours, for your level's context, instead of managing the way that you think baseball should be played, like how you've seen it played at higher levels, you know, like mm-hmm. you would really want to have a sort of keen awareness of the way that the field size affects things and the way that the talent level affects things and the way that changes in weather, maybe uh, for your local neighborhood ballpark might affect things or, you know, the, 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 the I mean, I certainly remember the fifth inning on was always played in, in near near pitch black at certain parts of the season when I was playing Little League. That might be something that would matter. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, you know, the the fact that you're, the batters maybe have never seen a left-hander, you know, a left-hander pitch uh, might be a, an underutilized uh, commodity in Little League. It might be the case that you should just have, like, one left... Anybody who can throw left-handed should be trained to pitch at least a couple batters a game so they can be like sort of deployed strategically something like that um i don't know i mean certainly that you could probably figure out i mean this would be no fun for anybody and you would be the worst coach in the world (laughs) but i suspect that there are if not entire leagues certainly many situations in a little league where the correct strategy would just be to go up there without a bat at all, and just <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that, it, that it's more likely the guy's going to throw four balls before he throws three strikes. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you, you, like I said, you just would just be the worst coach if you <laughs> told your team not to swing ever. You'd be the worst coach as well as the worst opponent. You'd be the worst human being. But there would probably be situations where you could subtly deploy that strategy and capitalize on it. But again, mm-hmm. I mean, who wins? Who wins in that situation? The kids, because they learn sabermetric. Okay, so well, yeah. If you wanted, if you, if your focus is on helping the kids learn, then you would, instead of being the manager and making decisions, you would turn the managerial position into basically a conference between all the players and you, and so that you, you would actually discuss these things, and it would be democratic, and they would have to think through. I mean, that's the whole point of sabermetrics is basically to think through the decisions you make instead of going on tradition and and habit, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you just would want to talk through a lot more things and um, make them feel empowered to make decisions and to think about these things. Or just make subscribing to Baseball Prospectus mandatory. 
you, mm-hmm. you don't subscribe, you don't play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a fair policy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, all right. Let's, let's do one more. And maybe we've briefly addressed this in the past, but if so, it was a while ago. This is from Dan. He is writing about the strikeout trend in baseball. If it happens, as Sam hypothesizes, where a three-run lead becomes essentially insurmountable, can you speculate about what action, if any, baseball would take to address that trend? For fun, can you speak to both offensive and pitching adjustments to rules or how umpires call games? Uh, yeah. The good news, well, that's a good question. Yeah, the good news, I guess, is that none of this is permanent. It's not an irreversible trend, really, right? Because you can, you can always do that. It's very easy, I feel like, to if you wanted to, to reverse this trend, right? You, I mean, you don't want to mess with baseball's rules too much, but if it does get to a point where strikeouts are just so high that the game is no fun anymore, it's not like we'll be helpless and baseball will be broken. We can just, we can change things. We can change the strike zone. We can change the height of the mound. We could maybe change equipment or something. I mean, there are lots of things you could do and probably a small change would produce a, a pretty big effect. Um, the pitch framing, uh, generally more, more balls are called strikes than strikes are called balls, right? Mm-hmm. So having, uh, having a robo ump would, would do something for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and my, my, my idea, the, the, my, my dream, of, um, of a world in which there is no strike zone and umpires simply call their conscience Mm-hmm. Uh, w- uh, would 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 create a sort of uh, level of uh, ideally it would create a balance that would um, you know be kind of constantly shifting, but would 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 always keep the sport from getting too offense or or too defense heavy, mm-hmm. right? Because they would essentially that would be what umpires would be trying to accomplish with their balls and strikes is to keep a a, a level of balance. Which is, um, I guess, I mean, that's kind of what they do, right? Within plate appearances. It's kinda, yeah, it's, it's kind of what they do. And As the strike zone expands and contracts based on the count and the situation. Yeah. Um, so, like, what if there was a rule that you couldn't throw harder than 100? Uh, what like, if, it, like if, it were, if they sold it as, like, a safety thing or, or that, you know, it was just bad for baseball or something like that. Mm. Um. Do you think that there's would there be any skill like that pitchers would develop in being able to to get to ninety nine point nine? Yeah, well, that's I think depending on the penalty, you'd have to be so careful that you didn't break a hundred that you'd have to give it a bit a bit of a buffer, uh, so you couldn't throw. You know, you might be scared to throw ninety nine because maybe the radar gun is a little hot that day or something, and it mm-hmm. says a hundred. That's- that's true. Yeah, there probably wouldn't be a skill because of that would be too hard to do. Um, there's, of course, the idea that um, if you're that you can't come in for one batter, that you have to come in for you know a pitcher has to come in for X number of batters or for a full inning or something like that. That would just kind of slow the hyper specialization of bullpen arms. Uh, you could conceivably see a situation where uh, teams were prohibited from carrying more than eleven pitchers. Mm-hmm. On the roster or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, you could you could imagine a. I mean, you could imagine a situation where there was like a, a a second DH that could be deployed for any position you want. 
Mm-hmm. You could imagine that. I don't. I don't. I don't think you would see it, but you could imagine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and you could. I mean, you can always shrink the strike zone, but I think that should be sort of a, a last resort because um, I don't know. The strike zone is just such a, a fundamental thing, and obviously, it's shifted and expanded before um, and contracted before, but it's 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 that's kind of you know that's at the heart of the very at the game there are things that you can do that are a little more more subtle and you wouldn't have to retrain umpires and retrain batters and pitchers and adjust all of their expectations and adjust all of the stats that we've so carefully worked out over the years um so i'd rather not see that happen it would be nice i, I guess as you were saying if if the rule book, the current rule book strike zone could be observed more closely and you could actually get umpires to stop calling those outside pitches to lefties on those couple inches off the plate. Stop calling those strikes. That would, that'd be nice. I don't know how you do that without actually replacing the umpires. Um, unless you can just put more of an emphasis on it in training or something. So the easiest thing to do, and this, the most invisible way, to, the like the least jarring way to do it, so simple, so subtle, aesthetically no change, is simply to actually change the composition of the baseball, which people can, you know, there's been conspiracies that this has been going on forever, and Major League Baseball will, would, has never acknowledged it and always denies it, and I mean, other than, other than I guess, 100 years ago, dead ball era, but... Um, Basically, the thing about that that's so weird is that, like, baseball, and maybe maybe they're just on it, being honest and, and saying it, but baseball is so defensive about the idea. Like, they're just so, they're so mm-hmm. forceful in denying that that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. And it, like, like as though it would be a scandal if, if it did. And really, like, do you think anybody would care if, if, if this were sort of modulated a little bit from year to year? Would anybody actually be mad as long as it were done openly? I mean, the scandal would be if they denied it for 15 years and then it it came out that they had been doing it all along. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't actually seem like, I mean, it would be a a little sensitive because, you know, in April, if we knew that they were changing the ball every year and then April came along and and offense was way down over the first three weeks, you'd have so many hot takes about how baseball (laughs) screwed up that year's baseball. Like, it would be like, like the years where the flu shot, they make the wrong flu shot. And so everybody gets this flu shot for the flu that doesn't really happen. That's a pretty niche analogy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you could imagine a lot of hot takes about that. Maybe that's why it's risky. But, I mean, that's pretty small beans stuff. Mm-hmm. So, sure, just change the ball every year. I'd be okay with that. But... Uh... That doesn't really help with the the strikeout thing in particular, right? That just oh, that's true. that just it affects help. it only what helps with the offense. Yeah, that happens. I mean, that affects what happens after contact is made. But if no contact is being made, then that wouldn't make baseball much less boring. Although it would, yeah. it'd make comebacks easier if you make the ball travel farther. But you'd still have people swinging through pitches all the time. So, um, I don't know. I don't have any sense really of what lowering the mound would do. Do you have any idea? I mean, what would happen if you lowered the mound by an inch or two inches or something? I have no no sense of what effect size that has. I don't either. I don't have any idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like the scale. I don't know what the. I don't know how 
how far it would have to go down and how big the how big the, the effect would be. Mm-hmm. No clue. Yep. Um, but if there were some it way to, it feels like it would be. It feels like it would be. I mean, I would feel bad for the pitchers. If maybe they would adjust right away, like maybe it would take ten pitches before it was normal. But it feels like it would be like really strange to pitch on this one size mound for your whole career, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like it's different. Like that feels maybe dangerous. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. Maybe people would get hurt either because they're they're overthrowing or something or they're landing differently. Um, yeah, that, that's a potential problem, but, uh, I don't know. Lots of, lots of things that you could try and that would probably work pretty well. Um, and at, at some point that might have to be discussed, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, all right. We done. I'm done. Okay. So we'll be back with one more show tomorrow.